Good morning, City Church family and guests who are gathered with us this morning online. Um, this is uh, quite obviously a unique morning for us as a church family, and um, I just want to uh, initially just say a word of uh, welcome and thank you uh, for your grace and your patience as um, we do this. This feels for me a little bit um, like the very beginning of this strange uh, year that we have been in, um, where it's just me and a camera. Um, but uh, we uh, so value, of course, um, the gathering of the saints, the ability to gather together, uh, to open God's word and to hear from him. And uh, while we cannot do that physically, and there's, of course, so much that is lost when we're not able to be together physically, um, we uh, are grateful for the opportunity and the capacity and the gift of technology that we can at least uh, come to you via technology, the miracle of technology, and um, be together in spirit. And so uh, thank you so much for gathering with us this morning in this way. And uh, we do pray that uh, this uh, time together uh, would just be an encouragement and a blessing I do want to give a, a word of welcome, especially if you are um, sort of peering into our church family and uh, you heard um, that we weren't going to be together in person. You had planned your visit to come and be with us this morning. Um, especially want to say thank you so much for bearing with us as we uh, just strive to be as safe and cautious as we can um, with uh, your health. And so um, please uh, do plan to come and join us. We pray by God's grace that we will be back together again next Sunday morning at 9. 9 o'clock and 1030 uh, in our new building at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane. Uh, We would love to meet you and see you then. Um, I also would ask, even though we are apart from one another this morning, if you um, would like to get to know a little bit more about our church, we would love an opportunity to engage with you. Um, even if you're from afar, if we could just be some uh, a church family that's praying for you, um, we would love an opportunity to do that. And the best way for us to at least begin that relationship and get in con- contact with you is to uh, have you text us. And so I'd ask that you would please text. If you're watching right now via your mobile phone, just jot this down somewhere uh, and do it after the service. It doesn't matter when you do it. But text uh, visit CCM to 97000. Uh, so if you just type 9730 in your, uh, the number line of your text message and then type visit CCM in the message body, uh, that will prompt your phone with a link and you can give us a little bit of your contact information so that we can reach out to you and uh, just keep you informed of uh, all that is happening in the life of our church and more than anything, just try to come around you in prayer and ministry and we would love an opportunity to do that. This, as I said, is a very unique morning, and um, as a result, I am here, uh, but it's just me, and uh, I don't play the guitar, and so we are not going to have a time of singing in worship this morning, Um, but uh, what I would like to do is just begin our time together reading uh, a few of the Psalms, and many of the Psalms uh, were initially read and and recited together by the body of Christ, by the people of God, uh, as uh, songs, and so we can, uh, and even some of the songs, many of the songs, in fact, that we sing in our church are rooted in the Psalms. And so I'm going to read for you a few of those. Um, If you would love to sing, and I would encourage you to sing with your family this morning, uh, we have a Spotify playlist, and you can go uh, on that app, Spotify, and just look up City Church Melissa Worship. Um, If you just search for that, you'll find uh, our worship playlist, and you could just play a few of those songs in your home and choose a few that you might know that are your favorites. And uh, again, let the the Word of God through song sort of um, just marinate in your home. But uh, let me pray, and then I'm going to begin with some reading of the Psalms. And then uh, we'll turn to our sermon text in Matthew chapter 6. 
Father in heaven, I thank you that you are God, that you are the sovereign over all things, the universe, everything exists because of you. Lord Jesus, your word tells us that um, all things are created by you, for you, and through you. And so um, we thank you that um, we um, can hold on to that promise, the true reality that you are over all things. And even in a day like today where um, things are strange, uh, things are confusing, uh, things are even somewhat challenging and painful, Lord, we can trust and know that you are God. And because of your sacrifice on the cross, Lord Jesus, we also know that you are good, that you are for us, that you love us with an unconditional love. And so those things just encourage my soul this morning, and I pray that all who could hear my voice this morning would be encouraged as well, knowing that the God of the universe, the God who put the sun in the sky this morning, who covered it with fog, allowed a little drizzle to fall here in North Texas, that God is very aware and present with us this morning. So I do pray specifically for all of those who are sick. We pray for our brother, Pastor Matt, and his family, that you would bring healing to his body quickly. We pray for so many others that we know are also battling illnesses of various kinds, battling Um, just struggling with pain, have lost loved ones in the last week and days. Lord, we um, pray that you would minister to each and every one of them, that your Holy Spirit would remind them of your love, that you would be close, bring healing, bring comfort, bring provision where it's needed, bring encouragement. I pray that our time together would just be a reminder once again of how much you love us, Jesus. We thank you so much that even in the midst of the chaos of this world, um, we have the ability to unite our hearts, at least in spirit, as we gather together around your word. And we pray now that you would speak through your word. Do what only you can do. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 34. A song that we sing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 
The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them shall be broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good this morning. In Psalm 24, following the 23rd Psalm that I know so many of us know by heart, we sometimes skip too quickly. I love this Psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord is strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Praise God. And now if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to continue in our teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. As I think about, we had a gap week just last week. We took a break from our Sermon on the Mount to just celebrate uh, with the Lord, with all of our uh, church family, the Disciple Now weekend. And what a gift of God that was to us. And obviously what a miracle it was uh, that we were able uh, to see God move in the way that he did. And, um, but we did take a break and taught from Romans chapter 3 last week. And um, as we return to the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to give you a quick recap. Because two weeks ago we started this new section beginning in Matthew chapter 6. And as I often do, and of course especially this morning will remind you, uh, you can go back and uh, catch up on those sermons via our YouTube channel. You can also listen to those, just the audio of those in your car um, through Spotify and uh, the Apple podcast or really wherever you might get a podcast, you can find our sermons there. But as we began this new section in our last sermon from this text, um, we saw that Jesus was turning from this definition of who we are as Christians And how we interact with the world and uh, turning as well from uh, the kind of definition or explanation of how this new kingdom of God interacted with the Old Testament or the law of God. And that he wasn't coming to just throw everything out but had come to fulfill the law. And he really gave us the heart of the law which begins to shape how we live our lives and realizing the centrality of Christ in our lives. And as he began that, and as he turned to chapter 6, and this new teaching, and this wasn't a chapter, by the way, when he taught this sermon. This was just one flowing message that he gave. But in our breakdown, as we turn to chapter 6, this new section is, in a sense, showing us or teaching us that God is aware of what we do and how we live our lives. And that what we do, how we live our lives before God, really matters. Jesus set the tone of this new section 
and really all that will flow even this morning and as we continue in chapter 6 for the rest of this time or for a few weeks here. He began with this warning from chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He gives this warning, and as a recap, it's important that we remember this warning every time, every section of this, every new teaching. It really is anchored to this reality. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And one of the things that we recognize is that in Jesus saying this, that we are seen, we are seen by other people. Well, if our Father in heaven knows that and knows that is our heart, knows that's our desire, it is clear that he also sees us. And what a humbling idea that is, that God sees me and knows me and cares for me. But it is also, the reason Jesus gave this word of warning, beware, it's a humbling idea because we know that God sees me and he knows my heart. He knows my motivations and he cares. It matters to him how I live my life. So as I said two weeks ago, this section of Jesus' teaching should humble us as we consider the God of the universe knows us and cares for us and loves us. It should also humble us as we realize that everything that we do is seen by God and matters to Him. It's a strong warning to remind us and caution us about who we glorify with our lives. We ask the question as we began this section, will we live our lives to please ourselves Or will we live our lives to please God? Because at the heart of practicing your righteousness uh, before other people so you might be seen by them, is that we want them to think we are good. And why do we want them to think we are good? Because that makes us feel good. Because that ultimately pleases us. And I just want to think about that for a moment. And consider how foolish we are. We're going to talk this morning as Jesus begins to teach us how we pray about the depth of our sinfulness, how infectious sin can be in our lives. And just think about this as we consider the foolishness of trying to live for others as opposed to living for God. We can live our lives and we can do everything. We can live in such a way that we strive to receive our reward from other people. We can receive the praise, the acknowledgement, the encouragement, all of those things from other people. But here's the reality. The very most that any single one of you can give me is something that will ultimately be turned to dust. You might be thinking of some amount of money Dust. You might be thinking about a life of constant encouragement and acknowledgement and praise will fade away. There's no matter what you think of, there's nothing in this world that we can receive from other people, no matter how well you might think of me, no favor that you can give me, no compensation in any sense that isn't going to ultimately completely fade away. None of it ultimately, eternally will matter. That's one way we can live our lives. Seeking the praise, the acknowledgement, 
the things of man. Or we can live our lives to glorify our Father in heaven. And we can receive our reward from Him. What an amazing thing to think of that. We can receive our reward from Him. We might not understand in this life right now the rewards of heaven, the rewards that we can receive from our Father. But if we truly believe that He is God and we honestly think about that reality, can we not understand that there is no earthly reward that could possibly compare to the reward of our Father in heaven? And yet, as we live our lives, as we go throughout our day, how tempted we are to believe that we can fight, we can strive, we can live for the praise of man. It's a logical fallacy to think that if we really believe that God is who he says he is. So, Jesus gives this warning to, to, to not practice your righteousness before other people, not strive to please yourself, but to live for the glory of God. And as the first illustration of this problem that we talked through briefly, he uses the illustration of the Pharisees who let everyone know that they were doing their part to serve the poor as they gave money to the poor. They did this, by the way, giving money to the poor. That was obedience. They were doing what the law asked of them, what the law required, that they would care for others, they would care for the poor. But the way they did it was a clear violation of how God calls us to obedience. Parents, we know what this looks like so well. When our kids are doing what we told them to do, but not in the way that we told them to do it. Go make your lunch. No, not a lunch that is made of Cocoa Puffs and Twinkies. That doesn't satisfy. Go clean up your room. No, I didn't ask that you would clean your room while you were rolling your eyes the entire time. Again, we can see our children do the things that we might ask them to do, but the way that they do them has an impact. And so we have to realize in our own hearts and lives how often we might do things, we might engage in life and be doing even what God would command us to do, but the heart is rooted in some degree of sinfulness, wanting praise for ourselves, wanting others to see us. And this was the challenge of the Pharisees. And so this morning, in this morning's text, Jesus, using a, giving us further illustration of this problem, turns even to prayer. Not just in giving to the poor can we find the sinfulness of our hearts and the degree of sin in our hearts being made real or shown to us, but even as we pray. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus 
illustrating the fact, this reality, that we should be cautious about how we practice our righteousness, how we live our lives, because God sees us. And the temptation, Jesus knows our temptation is always to try and do the godly thing in such a way that we might receive the praise of man. He says, no, live your lives because God sees you for his glory alone. Seek his glory alone. And here he gives the illustration of prayer. And I want you, us to think together just how powerful this idea is. Jesus has, of course, just told us to beware of our own sinfulness. He knows that our hearts are fickle. He knows even giving money to the poor, that our brokenness can get in the way of God being glorified. And even more than that, he says here that even how we pray can be tainted by our own sinfulness. Can you imagine that? I know this is hard for us to sometimes grasp. So many of us, when we think of sin, and sin is a word that sometimes a little bit, I referenced this last week in my sermon on Romans 3, that we don't like to think of sin. It's not a word that likes to be, we like to be talked about to or hear. And, and so, mar, so much of our culture, the idea of the sinfulness of man is tried to just shove aside. We always, we, hey, they're good people. We try to lift ourselves up. But this text shows us how sinful our hearts can be. That even as we go to God in prayer, that we can be tempted to sin in prayer. It's amazing. That's really, really messed up. That we could sin as we go to the Father in prayer. And this is what Jesus is getting at. We can't just read this text in the prior text and pick on the Pharisees, by the way. That's the temptation of our hearts is that we read this and we hear about hypocrites and Pharisees and we say, yeah, that's the Pharisees. And since we were little kids, if you grew up in Sunday school, you've known you've grown up realizing the Pharisees were the bad guys. The Pharisees weren't the bad guys. The Pharisees were just the guys like you and I that were around Jesus that he used to point to and say, let me show you how sinful the heart of man can be. And we are just like them. So we shouldn't pick on them too quickly. We need to realize that we're no different. And if Jesus were here today, he could use you and I as an illustration of the, of the human condition, the sinfulness of man's heart. See, here's our problem. When we think of sin, typically our minds go to those who are far off from God, those who don't know God at all, those who reject God. Those who would say and deny everything in this Bible, everything that God would say. Those that aren't gathered around the TV or the computer right now with their families this morning. This is what we think about. People who are running from God. But we need to realize, it's important that we realize that sin is so pervasive. It's such a reality that it follows us into our prayer life as Christians. Now, before you get too depressed, let me give you some good news and I'll give you more in a moment. Imagine how messed up that is that our sinfulness follows us into our prayer lives. And then also imagine and know there is a God who loves people that are that messed up. God loving someone that even when they come to him in prayer, there's still sinfulness in their hearts. That is who God is. Jesus died for those sins too. 
So this text, as we read it, should help us to better understand the depths of our own sinfulness. And so when we see how pervasive sin is, we also better understand the roots of that sinfulness. So the ultimate root of sin, this is really what we are striving, what Jesus is trying to help us see in this text as he uh, uh, sort of tells us and illustrates for us that we are to live our lives completely for the glory of God. He's trying to help us see how deep our sin issue is so that we can begin to root it out. Because until we begin to do that hard work of rooting out that sin, of tearing out the stump that remains from the branches that we cut down, until we do that hard labor, it's going to continue to plague us. And so Jesus is helping us to see the root of our own sins. And that ultimate root of all sin is self-worship. We see ourselves as God. And we worship ourselves. Think about where we know sin or see sin originating. Satan, the enemy of God, wanted to be God. And as we think about where sin entered this world, Eve believed that she and Adam could be like God. Not satisfied to be with God perfectly, in perfect harmony, in union with God as their father. No, they wanted to be just like him and they believed that they should be just like him. And what lies at the heart of every sin that you and I ever commit or think of? We believe that we are worthy. That we deserve. That we should be Like God, that we should be praised, that we can do whatever we want to do because we are like God. All of those thoughts. And if sin runs that deep, what hope do we have? How could we possibly fix our own problem of being reconciled to God if even in prayer we find sin exists? What this shows us, it shows us so well. Our need for unconditional grace. And that is what Jesus came to offer us. As we think about the depths of our sin, it should lead us to worship Jesus even more. Because in spite of how dark our hearts might be, Jesus laid down his life for sinners who strive to be like God, to be God themselves, even as they feign prayers to God Almighty. This is the gospel. This is good news. That that grace has been made available to us. And Jesus, as he's speaking this, by the way, he's speaking it to people, if we go back to the Beatitudes where he began, who he has welcomed into his kingdom. So again, this isn't written or spoken to people who are far off from God. He's not saying, let me show you these Pharisees that don't know me at all. They're completely way away from me. No, he's speaking this to Christians, to people he has welcomed into his kingdom, his own disciples, people he has raised to life. That's the entirety of this message as Jesus is originally speaking. it. He's told them that they are salt and light. But here, he's giving them this instruction to show them how important it is that they pursue the Lord. They remember the need for grace. 
and the grace that God has given us. So the Pharisees, they're not just an example of hypocrisy. But Jesus, by using them as an illustration, he's speaking to all of us. He's saying, you who've been born again, be careful that you don't act just like they do. Be careful, beware, because your sinful heart can lead you astray. So, as we examine this text of the illustration of prayer and how Jesus uses it, Jesus gives, in a sense, two groups of instructions. When we pray, he tells us what we are not to do in prayer as we realize the sinfulness of our own hearts, as we realize how quickly we run away from God. And then he tells us what we should do in prayer. First, a little bit of context. He says about the Pharisees when verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. See, many of the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they would pray and they would go to the synagogue to pray where they should pray. But And so often what they would do is they would stop short of the synagogue. They would stop on the street corner in the sort of the prime market space where they could be seen and they would stop there and pray. And the reason they did that is they were intentionally seeking out the praise of others so that everyone might see how holy they would be so that other people might say about those people that were walking and stopping and praying, look how holy they are. They're so holy and righteous, they can't even wait to get into the synagogue to pray. They have to pray right here on the street corner. That's how holy they are. And the Pharisees loved this praise of man. They intentionally sought out the most prominent position where they could pray and where they'd be heard. Even then, as they stepped in the synagogue, they would do so in the most prominent positions. They wanted everyone to know just how righteous and holy they were. So Jesus says, don't pray so others can hear you and think well of you, verse 5. And if we bracket down to verse 7, speaking of the Gentiles, the other group of people, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't use empty words. Don't think that your words are what are most important. And so we're not to pray so that everyone can see us and know how holy we are by our prayers. We're not to have that in mind. And we're also not to get so caught up in our words, in the language we use, thinking so highly of ourselves, that if we're just eloquent enough, that God might hear our prayers. See, the sin issue that is revealed by these two warnings and these two admonishments to not do this in prayer is, again, in prayer, focus on ourselves rather than God. Even in prayer, their focus was on themselves, not on the God that they supposedly prayed to. The Pharisees said, I want to be seen and I want to be known by man. As holy and righteous. Forgetting that the only one that it matters that we are holy and righteous before is almighty God himself. So the sin issue, by the way, is not so much about praying in public. You know, as a church family, we gather for evening prayer. And there's many places in scripture that encourage the saints to come together and to pray together. And in somewhat that would be a public prayer. But here the sin issue is where is the focus? 
Are we praying publicly as we are asked to pray or as we come together in prayer when we're in a small group or something like that? Are we praying Are we quick to say, let me pray so that everyone can think of us so well and think how holy and righteous we are? Or are our hearts and minds completely focused on the God that we pray to? Or as the Gentiles did, they didn't pray so quickly in the public square so they could be seen. But they prayed using all sorts of language that through their words they might let others know how holy they were. And once again... What comes to focus as you consider this sin issue? The focus of the prayer is themselves. If they use great words, if they are eloquent enough, if they sound pious enough, all for the attention of others. They believe that if they use the right words, then God would respond. And if that's true, if it's contingent upon my words, whether God responds to me, who is really God in that moment? It's not the God of the universe in my mind, at least. I'm thinking that it's contingent upon my words. And so you again, you can see this picture, the depths of sin that can exist even in prayer. And so Jesus is condemning The act of praying in such a way that you're striving to draw attention to yourself, either through when and where you pray or how you pray, thinking that it's your great words and the power of your prayer. Again, the power of your prayer, not the power of God who you pray to. Most of us, though, in our context, I would say, don't struggle so much with praying in public Stopping in the public square to pray. Too often if we see someone praying in public, we might even begin to think, is there something a little bit strange about them? It catches us off guard because it's so foreign in our context. And why don't we pray? Why don't we pray publicly? Why don't we pray as we gather together so often for evening prayer or other times as a church family? Why are we so embarrassed That we might not have the right words. It's this root of the same issue. So often we don't pray in front of others because we don't want them to think less of us. Because they might hear the lack of eloquence. The lack of holiness in our lives. They might realize, oh I need God. They realize how humbled we are before God. And as we think about those things and just assess your own heart, where is the focus? I don't want others to think anything badly of me. Even in prayer, our hearts are thinking of ourselves and our relationship to others rather than being humbled by the gift and the grace That the God of the universe calls us to pray and to cry out to him as father. Dads, moms alike. Do you care what words your children use when they come to you crying for help? 
When your child is injured and they're screaming and there's, it's complete gibberish, it makes no sense, there's no language even being evoked because of the pain that they're in, what do you want to do? You want to pick them up. It doesn't matter what they're saying to you. It doesn't matter how they're saying to you. You want to pick them up and put your arms around them because you are their parent, because you love them unconditionally. How much more does our Heavenly Father not care, not being concerned with how we come to Him in prayer... It's just that we are able to cry out to Him as Father. This is the beauty, the gift of prayer. This is an amazing truth that we have a Father that we can pray to. So, if you like to pray out in front of others so that you can be known as the prayer warrior, Jesus would say your heart is deceiving you. If you like to be known as someone, even, who sneaks away all the time, notice what he says here. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, but go to your prayer room and shut the door. Sometimes we like to be known as the person who sneaks away. Where did they go? Oh, they went to pray. What are they doing? Oh, they went to pray. We let everybody know that we're going to be in secret. (laughs) This is how, again... How pervasive sin is. But if you like to be known as someone who sneaks away to pray all the time. Jesus saying perhaps your heart is deceiving you. If you like to pray with grand words. And in effect you believe it's the language that you use. The power through your words to move God to answer your prayers. Or you want others to know just how righteous you are through the power of your words. Jesus says your heart is deceiving you. And if you don't like to pray. Because you don't believe you have the right words. Jesus says your heart is deceiving you. The heart issue what Jesus is dealing with. Is being so concerned. With the praise of man. With receiving worship to yourself. That we forget. That we have a father. That we can go to. And this is what Jesus commends for us. As we pray. That's the sin issue that we deal with in prayer. So how are we to pray? In verse 6, he says this. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Again, bracketing, we had 5 and 7 in terms of the warning of how we were not to pray. 6 and 8, how we are to pray. Do not be like the Gentiles, he's referencing in verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus commends that we go away in secret. And again, I already referenced even that in our own hearts can become sinful because we let people know that we're going away in secret. But no, this is to truly retreat and realize that you have a Father in heaven. And that so when we pray, we pray to your Father. That is the direction of our prayers. When we pray, Jesus is commending us that we pray, we truly pray to God. Not for others, but to God. The location of your prayer, public or secret, is not the ultimate focus. 
The knowledge of our prayer, whether we have good words or not good words, is not our focus. The God who hears our prayers is our focus when we pray. He sees us. He knows us. He cares for us. This is the God that we pray to. And he is our complete focus. And so when Jesus says that we should go into our closet, do you know what is required when you go into your closet? What's illustrated here? Going into the closet requires that we remove things. We remove the distraction. We remove ourselves. We step away from the world. We remove ourselves from the praise of others because it's not seen or known by others. And we are able to focus our attention completely on our Father who we pray to. Our minds can completely be focused on the gospel, the good news that we have a Savior who sits at the right hand of God interceding for us even when we don't know how to pray. This is the direction of our prayers. I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life, but this is my own life. If I don't remove the distractions, I will struggle to spend time in prayer. I'll hear the buzz of that phone. I have enough distractions going on between the two walls of my head to take care of everything, to just completely destroy any amount of focus and quiet time I might be striving to have. Are you like me? You bow your head in prayer and immediately your to-do list pops up in your mind. Immediately that task that is required of you later in the evening pops up to mind. That thing you forgot to do yesterday. Oh, I need to go and think about this. Oh, I'm so worried about what my friend might have interpreted what I said three days ago. And on and on and on. Distractions. And guess what most of all those distractions are? They are completely rooted in thinking of other people. Thinking about my place before others. Am I liked? Am I loved? Did I do right? Did I do good? Am I going to get praised? Am I going to get promoted? Am I going to have this happen for me? Am I going to win that game? On and on and on. Our minds just go firing away, thinking of ourselves. And so what is required of us, what Jesus calls us to do, is to get ourselves so focused on God that we eliminate those distractions. And I can just tell you, friends, very practically, that does not happen in a microwave. It will not happen quickly. It will take time. It will take a degree of focus to clear your minds. So often, I can tell you one of the best ways, this is just a practical tip for you. Open up your Bibles and begin to read. Turn to those Psalms that I just read this morning. And read those Psalms, allowing your heart and your mind to begin to focus on God. And do it slowly. Give yourself time. Give yourself space so that you can focus on God. When we pray, we pray to our Father. Our hearts and minds are completely focused on Him. Now, you might be asking or thinking to yourself, well, we're to pray without ceasing. Here's another beautiful thing. When Jesus talks about praying in secret, yes, He uses the illustration of the closet, but do you know what else we can do? As I'm driving down the road 
with songs that we sing on Sunday mornings playing on my radio. I can begin to think about the needs of you and other people, friends and family in our church, those that I know, the needs that I have. And I can pray. I can ask the Father to care, to meet the need, to to move in whatever way. My focus is on Him. It's not just that we would sneak away and do something, but that we could keep our hearts and minds completely focused on God, our Father. This is what we are to do when we pray. The other thing that we are to do, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him, is to not think that it is our words that move God, but realizing that our Father knows before we ever even speak. One of my favorite devotionals is the 365 Days of Prayers by a pastor named Scotty Smith. And I read it almost daily. Now, just think about this. What can be more out front, more public square than writing a book that includes prayers. <laughs> that surely wasn't very secret. But here's the beauty, the gift that Scotty gives to us is the thing and I love most about this devotional is his simplicity. The focus on what God has done, every word that is written, it's so evident that Scotty knows and trusts in the gospel. There is nothing of him that is there to be praised in his writings. It's all focused on God and it is, quite candidly, very simple words. Nothing theologically explosive other than just the simplicity of we have a God in heaven who is so holy and other than us in the midst of our sinfulness he still loves us that's amazing and it's true and so we can trust that our father knows us if we are his children, if we have been adopted through Christ as sons and daughters, we can go to him as father and know that he knows our greatest need. And what Jesus is illustrating here is not that we shouldn't pray because he already knows what we want. That's the temptation. Well, God already has the idea. He knows exactly what I need. So I I don't need to pray because he knows it. What would be the point in praying? The point in praying is acknowledging that we trust our father, that he is good. And that we acknowledge him above all else as the giver of good things. And as we pray, we can trust that our Father knows even better than we do what we might need. What we might should be asking for if we understood everything that he understood. We can also trust that our Father hears us. And that he will hear our prayer. We can finally, not rooted in our eloquence or the language that we use, we can trust that our Father will do what He intends to do. That He does the work, not our words prompt Him to do the work. We can pray and know that we have a Father. And as we continue this text next week, Jesus is going to give us this model prayer. And once again, the very first words, our Father. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I have a Father in heaven. 
that we are able to pray to, that sees us and knows us and cares for us. If we know that that is true, how could we possibly be satisfied with the praise of man? How could we possibly find satisfaction in the things of this world alone? How could we not receive every good and perfect gift simply as that a gift from our Father and glorify His name? And so we realize, even in prayer, the sinfulness of our own hearts, how fickle and tempted we are to seek praise for ourselves. Let us also be reminded that we have a Father who loves us in spite of that sinfulness, sent His Son to lay down His life. We have a Savior who gave His life for us because we needed it, because we were that sinful. And if you don't know that Savior this morning, I want you to hear and know the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came for you. Because he loved you that much. I hope in some way as we've looked at his words to us that we have seen and you have seen and potentially even been wrecked a little bit and wrestled with the reality of how dark and sinful your own heart can be as you consider how far away and other God is than you. But I also pray that you would know and believe what I know to be true. That even in the sinfulness of my own heart, knowing that reality, Jesus came to secure for me adoption as a son. And the reason I can cry out to Father, my Father in heaven, is because of his love, because of his grace. You should know that grace as well. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the abundance of your grace and your mercy. How humbled I am, I pray we are as we realize the sinfulness of our own hearts that even as we come to you in prayer, we can be tempted to put the focus on ourselves so we acknowledge that before you. We confess, Father, we are sinful people. We too quickly turn away from you. We too quickly put the attention on ourselves, seek the attention for ourselves. Even as we strive to live out the so-called Christian life. And so I pray that collectively we would be humbled together. As we realize how sinful we can be. And yet, how gracious you are. You don't turn away from us. You don't cast us out. You don't shun us. But as our Father in heaven, you plead with us to come to you and to keep our attention on you. Thank you, Father, for being a God who knows us, cares for us. And meets us even in the depths of our sins with grace and mercy. And I pray if there's anyone who does not know the joy of being called a son or daughter of the Most High God. 
that this morning, the truth of Jesus' sacrificial death on their behalf, the reality that God, you sent your own son to lay down your life for those who would reject you if not for your pursuit. I pray that it would wreck hearts and souls and minds and that they would turn to you. That they would hear the words, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That they would thirst and hunger for a righteousness that clearly is not found within us, but comes only from you. And would you satisfy them this morning, Lord, we pray. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we close our time together this morning, I want to thank you once again for your grace and your patience and gathering with us uh, via this medium this morning. I also want to make you aware that uh, this evening this uh, building will be filled. I won't be here again just out of caution for you, out of love for you. Um, but uh, at 5 o'clock we will have our community night. Um, this is a night where we gather together and just enjoy Christian fellowship. And so if you've been wanting to get to know our church a little bit, show up at 5 o'clock. We're going to have some dessert for you. We'll gather in our cafe. Guys, there will be football on the TVs. And so we can just enjoy uh, some sweet time of fellowship together at 5 o'clock. Also, our re-engage ministry, if you are already signed up for re-engage for this evening, they will gather at 6.30 p.m. this evening. And uh, we are so thankful uh, for that ministry and excited for you to be together this evening and begin uh, this new semester. Um, We love you. We are so thankful again for you. If there's anything that we can do to be in prayer for you, please email prayer at the city, prayer, prayer at citychurchmelissa.com. Sorry, that's the email address. So prayer at citychurchmelissa.com. We would love an opportunity to pray for you, um, to just come alongside you in any way that we can. Love you. God bless you. And uh, in God's grace, we'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.